Greetings and happy Monday, friends. Uh, Sam Rajovsky here, <laughs> recovering from quite the weekend, let me tell you. All right, you're listening to the What's Right Show. Grateful to be with you, as always, here behind the What's Right microphone, loud and clear, uh, coming to you from beautiful downtown Las Vegas. Yeah, I watched the Super Bowl. Uh, it was a good game. I really... Okay, yes, the the anthem at the beginning. There's one anthem. Ah, this whole idea of playing first the Black National Anthem, which was uh, performed uh, by an actress, Cheryl Lee Ralph. Has a good voice. Uh, was, um, was nice. It was long. I think it was, I did the time on it. It was a two minutes and 21 seconds for the Black Anthem. I guess what do we what do we by co- contrast call the the U.S. anthem, the American anthem? We call it the uh, the the other anthem. Two minutes and five seconds performed by Chris Stapleton. Very moving. Uh, you'll know if you see me, by the way, ever at any sporting events, uh, hockey games, anywhere here in town, anywhere I go, I always like to be in my seat before the anthem plays. It is an important part of the game for me. And it is uh, what happened yesterday, yet another example of how the NFL is doubling down on woke uh, to the point now that they're uh, basically turning uh, the Super Bowl games uh, into uh, their version of Wakanda. Here's, yeah, listen, it's the same thing as with all of this race-based woke stuff. Emphasizing our differences does nothing for unity. And so the people that play this game, that push this type of stuff on us, have no interest in unifying us. They have no, this is not part of an agenda to move America to a post-racial society. It is almost as if we're going back to Jim Crow, all the stuff that of course we claim was injurious, rightly so, to African Americans and now requires reparations for their grandkids and great grandkids. Well, separate but equal. Yeah, you, you know, you have your anthem, we have uh, our anthem, and uh, pretty soon we'll be playing seven different anthems. You know, we'll have a, I guess we'll have some an anthem for recovering Californians like myself. Um, I don't know, folks. I look. It, I the thing about sports that I love if I can say anything about going to an athletic event in the United States of America is that you leave politics at the door it's unifying we're all Americans you sit there you sing the anthem and you you know you fight over whose team is going to win that's fine whose team is better whose team has a more loyal fan base it's a place where we forget you know that some Republicans over there, some Democrats, some 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 Asian people, some some Black people, White people, whatever. We're all in it together. It is an opportunity to unify. But uh, may, I, I, I'm I'm be very clear with you. This there's part of an agenda, right? This isn't the 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 effort here is by the people that are actually making decisions and pulling the levers behind pushing this stuff. The NFL, no, the NFL, they're just buying, they're buying the critical race theory 
stuff they're buying it hook line and sinker because they're they're too politically correct and dumb frankly to understand that they're being had uh, i don't think but but the people that are pushing this stuff they have no interest to unify us their agenda is to split america into as many factions as they possibly can because divided frustrated mad at each other we will need them, right, to solve and find our path through it in the end. Oh, the other thing that unified the left, speaking of unity, ha, Elon Musk. Did you see this, who he was in a box with watching the game? Yeah, he went, he sat next to Rupert Murdoch, the owner of Fox News. And this, by the way, sent the liberal Twitter sphere into an absolute frenzy. Dash Dabrowski, who is this, what is a young Gen Z commentator, Elon Musk is what he wrote. Elon Musk is at the Super Bowl with Rupert Murdoch, two non-American right-wing billionaires who use their money and power to help fascists win elections. The... This is, uh, this is perplexing. By the way, can you imagine if a, a conservative commentator were to use non-American as a slur against a political adversary, what the reaction would be from the mainstream media? Decoding Fox News, an account that is dedicated to slamming everything that happens on Fox, wrote, the announcers call Elon Musk and Rupert Murdoch brilliant and then immediately declare why they called Murdoch brilliant, which is, I mean, it was Fox commentators. He owns Fox. He goes, well, you know, and it's a good thing he's here because he's signing our paychecks as a, as a funny aside, right? And then it says, good to know the owner of this platform is hobnobbing with the head of a right-wing propaganda machine. Once again, throwing out the word fascist to close out this not-so-brilliant thought. AOC put in her own thoughts on this. Birds of a feather flock together was her uh, witty tweet, um, prompting ridiculous answers of replies from people uh, baiting her and telling her, uh, you know, give it up, uh, Elon's not going to date you. <laughs> so, so this, I'm just telling you, I, everything now is political. And the, from the anthem uh, to who's sitting with who at the damn game. And Elon Musk, listen, Musk has now put himself in this place. He's, he's perplexingly become this light, lightning rod of liberal left-wing angst. Now, I, I say this. This is, a, I, I, this is a very important point here to be made. You know, it's... Uh, you know, it's it's a it's it's a it's a thing. It's it's happened as a consequence, right, of Musk coming along and removing the impediments to free expression on his platform. So, in the thought minds of the left, you have a guy that comes along, literally makes the platform, Twitter, more free more open, more accessible. And as a consequence, he's called a fascist. That's the 
that's the sum of these of these thoughts of the game here. Now, what's what's interesting? And Buck Sexton had a great bit about this. He goes, uh, he said, put out a tweet. I think today, so many high Q high IQ people recognize the press as their emotional and cultural enforcers. So they become deeply attached to the propaganda machine, facts be damned. And this is precisely it, right? The left, the left, first off, does not want any of their ideas or thoughts challenged. They know that their thoughts and ideas, opinions, cannot survive oftentimes in the open marketplace of ideas. They know that if everyone were to know everything about what is going on, people might have different opinions. No more true was this, for example, than during COVID, right? There was a party orthodoxy party line. You couldn't go against it. If you did, Twitter would put the kibosh on you. Too sweet. Never mind if you were a uh, medical professional, a researcher, scientist, whether you had a big following or not, credibility required to give an opinion. If that opinion countered, again, party orthodoxy, dogma of the time, then you were struck from uh, the ability to express yourself publicly and connect with your followers. All of this is now transpiring. By the way, I got to take a quick break here, but I, the big thing, of course, last week, going through these uh, subcommittees and testimonies on the on the on the Hill in Congress, because on 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 Wednesday, uh, both the well, let's see, there were three folks formerly from from Twitter, four, including the Twitter whistleblower, but they had Vijaya Gaddy, who was the legal officer who signed off on all of this censorship. James Baker who was the former deputy general counsel of Twitter, also testified, and Yul Roth, the head nanny. He's there for the trust and safety at Twitter. And, what, and, and all of a sudden, these people, in my opinion, watching their testimony in Congress, they're disassembling. They can't even believe that they're being challenged, that they have to sit there under Republican subpoena, answer questions under oath. They're incredulous. They cannot give a straight answer. I'll play some clips for you when we return. And meanwhile, other political operatives literally melting down because, gosh forbid, Elon Musk go to a football game with Rupert Murdoch. When we talk about misinformation and fascism, I think, friends, uh, the real fascists, the real misinformers, the real liars, manipulators are the people that we heard from in Congress last week. The folks at Twitter, elsewhere, that conspired with the federal government to limit free expression, to silence their critics, and to deny, by doing so, to deny many Americans their First Amendment rights. That, that, that's real fascism. But it's lost, of course, on these, uh, these left-wing dimwits who throw that word around, don't even know what it means. All right, friends, got to take a quick break. Sam Urchofsky here. 
News Talk 840 KXNT back in a moment. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. My law partner here at Sam and Ash, Injury Law, Ash Watkins, just uh, tweeted a funny thing I need to share with you. If Biden wants a guaranteed approval ratings boost, make the Monday after the Super Bowl a national holiday. That's a good idea, by the way. (laughs) I I could see a lot of Americans uh, really benefiting from this. So, look, friends, on, on... on your behalf, I will speak to Ashley about giving such good advice to Biden. We don't want her. Um, we don't want him getting word of this. Uh, might might give him a good idea or two. All right, uh, you're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here. Uh, grateful to be with you. Absolutely. By the way, went down to the Colorado River yesterday and um, did a bit of off roading. Now this is this is one of the best things. For those of you who don't live here in Southern Nevada, I have to tell you, one of the best things to do here is uh, just the beautiful scenery outside of outside of the city of Vegas, a tremendous desert, and a ton of hiking, uh, and and uh, and off roading. So a friend of mine uh, and I both have, um, you know, I have a Jeep. Uh, he has a SUV that can go off road, and and we we went out and uh, took a trail. Out kind of south by uh, what it was Boulder City, so you go kind of toward Boulder City, and then you go past to turn off for Boulder, and you go towards Searchlight, and then you have to get off a road, and you it's a little bit of a of a haul, but ultimately the trail takes you down all the way to the banks of the Colorado River underneath the the Hoover Dam. You can't quite see it from the spot that we were in, but the you know the the dam is upstream, and the water's beautiful, and it was a gorgeous weekend uh this weekend here it was warm and nice and um and so we i brought two of my kids down and uh we uh we, we made a little lunch and it was just a, an absolutely perfect day and reminded me about everything that i love uh, being here in in vegas uh, it was just really nice so uh just thought i'd share that with you now last week i gotta catch you up a little bit what all was going down on wednesday Going back to Wednesday, and it's relevant to what sort of we saw over the weekend here, all these people complaining about Elon Musk, the fascist, getting together with Rupert Murdoch at the Super Bowl. On Wednesday, we had Vijaya Gaddy, who's the former chief legal officer at Twitter, get grilled by Representative Anna Paulina Luna, Republican Florida, uh, she, well, but Luna, sorry, Luna went after Yoel Roth. The, um, it was it was Nancy Mace that went after Vijaya. That's actually her name, Vijaya Gaddy. And this was the House Committee on Weaponization of Government on Wednesday. And Mace, Nancy Mace, uh, starts off with this. So my first question this morning of Miss Gaddy, may I ask of you, where did you go to medical school? I did not go to medical school. I'm sorry. I did not go to medical school. That's what I thought. Why do you think you or anyone else at Twitter <laughs> had the medical expertise to censor a doctor's expert opinion? 
our policies regarding COVID were designed to protect individuals. We were seeing you guys censored Harvard-educated doctors, Stanford-educated doctors, doctors that are educated in the best places in the world, and you silenced those voices. Bingo. Exactly. Who the hell do you think you are? I say this as a lawyer. Lady, you're just a lawyer. And under the pretense, the pretense of, quote-unquote, protecting people, you, conspiring together with government actors, which makes it a major First Amendment violation, removed accounts, silenced accounts of people who are leading experts in their fields. Mace continues this um, with an example. Listen in. I have another tweet by someone with a following of a full 18,000 followers. This person put a chart from the CDC on Twitter. It's the CDC's own data, so it's accurate by your standards. And you all labeled this as misleading. You're not a doctor, right, Ms. Gaddy? No, I'm not. Okay. What makes you think you or anyone else at Twitter have the medical expertise to censor actual accurate CDC data. I'm not familiar with these particular situations. Yeah, I'm sure you're not. But this is what Twitter did. They labeled this as inaccurate. It is the government's own data. Wow, exactly. Now, she doesn't leave it there, and she gets right to the heart of everything that I have been saying, everything that I've been saying here regarding the workings of the First Amendment. Because remember, the First Amendment protects you from government interference with your right to speech. The government can only limit you in very specific ways when it comes to expressing yourself. Also, the government cannot compel you to speak. It's the negative, uh, reverse negative of, of, the, of the First Amendment. So they can't make you say something you don't want to say. They also can't uh, prevent you or, or limit the content of your speech. So, for example, time, place, and manner restrictions can, in some cases, fly, but the content of what you're saying can never, with very rare exception, be, be limited by, by the government. So here she gets at it, right? Nancy Mace questioning Vijaya Gaddy, the former chief legal officer of Twitter. She's that lady that got booted immediately the first day by Elon Musk, kicked her and the CEO straight out of Twitter headquarters. And here is what that sounded like. Did the U.S. government ever contact you or anyone at Twitter to pressure Twitter to moderate or censor certain tweets? Yes or no? We have a program. Did the U.S. government ever contact you or anyone at Twitter to censor or moderate certain tweets, yes or no? We receive legal demands to remove content from the platform from the U.S. government and governments all around the world. Those are published on a third-party website, and anyone can review Thank them. God for Matt Taibbi. Thank God for Elon Musk for allowing to show us in the world that Twitter was basically a subsidiary of the FBI. This right here is the heart, the core of the scandal related to what has been happening at Twitter for the past however many years. And he's, you know, Congresswoman Mace is absolutely right. Uh, having this all, this information all published as a consequence of Elon Musk buying Twitter and laying it all out for the world to see 
is an enormous gift. Now, the question is, what comes of it? So I'll get into it here. I got to get to the news here, bottom of the hour. But friends, there's big stuff happening. This matters. It goes to the core, the essence of our American democracy. And I'm, I'm, I couldn't be happier that we're getting to all this. All right, friends, don't go anywhere. The What's Right Show with Sam Rajofsky will continue after this. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit salmonashlaw.com. Well, those new Ashley-voiced ads sure sound good. I have to pass along a compliment. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. This hour brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, 702-820-1234, because you deserve what's right. All righty. Anna Paulina Luna, Republican Florida, grilled on Wednesday... Uh, this past Wednesday, Yoel Roth, the former head of Twitter Trust and Safety. Now, Roth stayed on for a period of time under Elon Musk. And I, you know, I, by the way, this is a, 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 was an interesting moment when Musk took over Twitter. And Roth remained in his position. I think at some point, you know, Elon was still even directing questions related to what was acceptable content to Yoel Roth, much to the ire of conservatives who had looked through his own Twitter feed, which is abhorrently left wing, which is fine. It's his right to put out there, but obviously indicative of his biases and also showing how he had targeted conservatives in that role at Twitter. Soon after that occurred, Yoel Roth was gone and deleted his position and uh, from his profile, and uh, it seemed that he had left the building permanently. So he now is on the outside of Twitter, testifying f- uh, to the Republicans in the House on the House Committee of Weaponization of Government, Remember, again, this is the crux of this argument is that the government went to Twitter. Yeah, the Justice Department, the FBI, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services, they went to Twitter asking them to specifically remove posts. And they had a back channel called Jira, which is a cloud-based server where they would upload information and contact information on the DL Government folks communicating with the folks at Twitter. This happened, by the way, at Facebook, at Meta, about posts on Instagram and also on Facebook proper. So here is Representative Anna Paulina Luna, Republican Florida, uh, really uh, asking uh, Mr. Roth some tough questions. Ever speak to government officials on JIRA regarding taking down social media posts? Again, not to the best of my recollection. Can you explain to me why the federal government would ever have interest in communicating through JIRA, mind you, a private cloud server with social media companies without oversight to censor American voices? Yeah, and he doesn't give an answer to that either. Uh, then she uh, gets uh, pulls up some screenshots because these communications now have been made public because Elon Musk has gotten in there and put all this out. 
Listen to this. Now, the screenshot behind, uh, screenshot behind me, which is an example of one of thousands, shows on November 3rd, 2020, that you, Mr. Roth, a Twitter employee, were exchanging communications on Jira, a private cloud server, to remove a posting. Do you now remember communicating on a private cloud server to remove a posting? I wouldn't agree with the characterization. I don't care if you agree. This... Do you, this, is, this is your stuff. Yes or no, did you communicate with a government agency on a private cloud server, yes or no? The question was if I Yes or no. Yeah, I'm on time. Yes or no. Ma'am, I don't believe I can give you a yes or no. Well, I'm going to tell you right now that you did, and we have proof of it. They are so screwed. As a lawyer, again, listen to me. I know what I'm talking about here. There, there is a the, – the most important link factually that the Republicans on this subcommittee can do is to, is to link up to connect government people, anyone in the government, by the way, communicating directly and asking for the speech of individuals to be removed, to be censored. That is, it, it, on its face, violative of the First Amendment. It is illegal, and it will result in massive litigation. And they are, they did it, I mean, folks, they did it without, without any fear, really. Yeah, they were on some, you know, some server, but it was all stuff that could have, was all, could be saved, could be screenshotted. They didn't care. They were above the law. They were so certain that with a friendly FBI, a friendly government, even, in, even under Trump, they could get away with this. It's a scandal of epic proportion. Now, Ms. Uh, Luna gets to closes her remarks and says, ladies and gentlemen, this is a joint action between the federal government and a private company. Here's what she said. This, ladies and gentlemen, is joint action between the federal government and a private company to censor and violate the First Amendment. This is also known, and I'm so glad that there's many attorneys on this panel, joint state actors. It's highly illegal. You are all engaged in this action, and I want you to know that you will be all held accountable. I think it's a, I don't think it's, an, it's a hollow uh, promise that accountability is, is coming. I, I, by the way, putting this all into the uh, record, and, uh, and, and frankly, now it's going to be – it'll be interesting because, of course, the Biden Justice Department won't want to touch any of this because the stink goes all the way to the top. But it's, 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 a, it's a huge disaster. By the way, they're they're going to bring in the, the Facebook, the Meta people as well. They're going to find out because, remember, Meta created a portal – Literally, they created a a place where the federal government, excuse me, the the uh, yeah, the federal government, people from the Justice Department, people from inside the Biden administration could go in and and literally flag posts, say, you know, here's a link to a post. We think that this is this needs to be taken down. There's not a lot of defenses to this. Public health emergency, really? That you don't get to suspend the U.S. Constitution for a public health emergency. This is, by the way, why they pushed so much of this fear on us. And what was the agenda? Because people are going to say, well, Sam, listen, you're just, you're, this is okay, COVID, it's already over. We're done here. 
I have to link it back to what this did. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you one great example that all, this, all these funny business mail-in ballots are a direct consequence of Americans being freaked out about COVID, a narrative pushed by a small group of Washington insiders, any effort to counter the official narrative on how bad or how good or whatever COVID was, was immediately squashed. The government wanted it censored and put out. And why? Because folks within the Democratic liberal establishment in D.C. knew they needed mail-in ballots to beat Trump in 2020. You want to talk about subverting democracy, which is a phrase thrown about by quite a few Democrats and their enablers in the media. Subverting democracy. This here is the beginnings of how it all unravels. And you understand that there was a real political motivation behind all this. Today, if you have a try to have a reasonable conversation with, for example, here in Nevada, one of the things we've learned from Governor Lombardo in his State of the State speech, he wants to roll back automatic ballots being sent to everybody. What is the first thing that the Speaker of the Assembly said about that plan? He's, by the way, a Democrat. Well, first response is that's a, that's a non-starter. That's a, that, that proposal of the governors is dead on arrival. They want universal ballots sent to everyone because they know here in Nevada – Democrats know that between their internal efforts and those of the culinary union, that they can out-collect ballots. And that's me being, by the way, this is me being very, uh, um, I should say, circumspect and not, uh, you know, not, not making this about fraud, but really just making it about, about voter collection measures. Which, by the way, until quite recently, were illegal. You couldn't go around harvesting ballots for people you didn't know. Yes, of course, you as a me as a husband, right? I do this. I I for years I've I voted absentee, and I would always drop off my ballot on election day uh, when I was voting in California. I did that uh, for years. But you have to. I would request a ballot every year. They would send. Is this still you? Are you at this address? Yes, yes, I am. And they'd send me the ballot. So I could drop my wife's off. I'd have to write on there. I'm dropping it off on behalf of, of, of my wife. And what is my and she would have to sign it and I would have to sign it. Well, I get to Nevada and, and all of a sudden we have COVID. Everybody's worked up about how unsafe it is. People are freaked out. They want the government to protect them. I mean, there's all sorts of benefits that the Democratic Party reap, but the number one politically um <laughs> I mean existentially valuable benefit that they reap from all this uh all these shenanigans was of course universal mail-in uh ballot voting which no doubt has benefited uh, democratic candidates uh, nationally and locally so what 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 happens from this I, i'll give you some of my thoughts um and take you through what's coming up because i think that's you know that's another part of this by the way speaking um speaking of stories I have to run this Fetterman deal by you. The, the New York Times, you know Fetterman, he's the guy who beat Dr. Oz in his run for the Pennsylvania Senate. Fetterman is, 
down to fewer brain cells than Kamala Harris, if that's even possible. He's in the Senate. He cannot speak. He's uh, fortunately had a series of strokes. Those incapacitated him before the election. Uh, but they kept telling us, no, 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 he's fine. He's good. He's okay. Nothing to see here, folks. He's just needs a little bit of time to recover, and then everything will be hunky-dory. Now the New York Times is coming out and saying not so fast. Uh, Fetterman uh, might actually not be able to do his job. Huh, why now? I'll explain. Don't go anywhere, friends. Brief timeout. Sam Rajovsky and the What's Right Show will continue after this. Friends, welcome back. You're listening to the What's Right Show brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law because you deserve lawyers that share your values. Uh, all right. You know, it's not just it's not just the suppression of, say, uh, contradicting opinions re- related to COVID that's the problem. You know, we had a very consequential presidential race in 2020. I, they're all consequential. But in my opinion, the 2020 and 2016 races in particular were of of grave uh, importance because our country first in 2016 and then in 2020 um you know risked in 16 and ultimately unfortunately uh i guess they succeeded in 2020 be seized by people who are not good for this country i mean hillary clinton and now uh joe biden and so you know these these elections were gravely important and I would say, generally speaking, that leading up to an election, finding out in that election that one of the candidates might be, at best, severely compromised internationally with adversarial powers, such as, for example, China, as the information on Hunter, Hunter Biden's laptop showed, I'll remind you one of the key things in there was his and uh, Hunter's statements and some emails that he was paying Joe Biden's bills. So he was getting money from Burisma in in Ukraine and from Chinese businesses, and then he was turning around and funneling that money, according to his admission in uh, several emails, that he was funneling that money to his dad, who was at the time, uh, first was uh, was, uh, was vice president under Obama, but then later... Uh, was running for president. Now, that's vital information. That is, that's newsworthy. That is something voters ought to know. So what happened? They basically decided that they were going to call it Russian disinformation and that they were, their official position on it would be that they are uh, not going to allow it to be published. And that in and of itself was was massive. And that is the real, when we talk about election interference and subverting democracy, that's the real story. So here uh, I've got, uh, it's, it's funny because, uh, let me play this clip here. Representative Clay Higgins, Louisiana, Republican Louisiana. When I ask, uh, where is this headed? According to him, uh, he says, first the investigations and then, and then jail. The FBI used its relationship with Twitter to suppress criminal evidence being revealed 
about Joe Biden one month before the 2020 election. You, ladies and gentlemen, interfered with the United States of America 2020 presidential election, knowingly and willingly. That's the bad news. It's going to get worse because this is the investigation part. Later comes the arrest part. <laughs> See, I mean, you want to know where he thinks it's headed? Uh, of course, you have to get the Biden Justice Department to do something. Now, Katie Porter, who is the uh, uh, congressperson from California, you might remember her as the one who dressed up as Batman during the Trump impeachment proceedings. Well, it was Halloween, but yes, she was a, a very serious uh, person uh, in her capacity as one of Trump's inquisitors. Yes, Katie Porter dressed as Batman now is complaining that we spent way too much time on some silly Twitter tweets. Who cares about silly Twitter? It doesn't matter. It's not of any consequence. Da 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 da. Listen to this. For nearly six hours, we have been going back and forth about this supposed suppression of a single news story from a single outlet for a single day. This hearing has been, in its length, nearly one quarter of the amount of time that Twitter users could not share the link. We are spending almost as much time screaming about this as we are, this was ever a problem. Imagine if we were allowed uh, in court, I'm speaking as a lawyer here, I don't do criminal work, I'm not a criminal lawyer, I'm an injury lawyer, but just humor me here for a second. Imagine if I was defending uh, a criminal, uh, well, not criminal, a, a person accused of a murder. And I went up there and I argued that it's absurd that this investigation into the murder took one year when the murder itself was only a minute long. <laughs> it's only a minute. <laughs> and now we're spending all this time investigating. We're here in court, two-week trial. What the heck? These, this, is, this, is, um, this is really perplexing. She's a, by the way, she is, I don't know if she's licensed to practice law, but she teaches law to young, uh, impressionable law students at the, or she did, she doesn't anymore, but she was a law professor at UCI. Well, they don't, they're not very practice ready from that school. They've got their heads up their rear ends or perhaps up in the clouds. Even, listen, even James Clapper now, <laughs> the former director of national intelligence, major uh, democratic operative, he's, um, He's, he's actually throw, throwing in the towel. He's saying that Politico, which is an outlet that said that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation based on sources from the National Intelligence Agency, he's saying that Politico deliberately distorted what we said. That's in the Washington Post. So Clapper now, uh, very opportunistically, right, <laughs> is covering his rear end by saying that the Washington Post lied. Excuse me, the, the Politico people lied. So the entire, you know, the, the entire pre-election myth, this isn't about one day on Twitter. This is that the entire political establishment conspired together with the media. People at the FBI worked as unpaid 
well, they're paid by us, taxpayers, but unpaid directly by the campaign, political operatives of Joe Biden for president. That's scandalous. It's unacceptable. If this had happened in the reverse, my friends, if this had been done by a Republican candidate who then later became president, it was all coming down, the Democrats would be opening impeachment hearings. So I'm not this, you know, I don't I don't want to throw around this is a bombshell or anything. We've known all of this stuff for a while, but I, t- I again as a lawyer, it's one thing to know what happened. The who done it, that's I get it. It's important. But I can tell you, and I tell my clients this all the time, the difference between a, a mediocre lawyer and a great lawyer is a great lawyer will get you the evidence and put it in the record. And so like, like a great trial lawyer, these Republicans in Congress are doing it. They're nailing this down, putting it on the record under oath. I love it. I applaud it. Keep at it. All right. Fetterman, the brain dead senator, up next, I'll tell you what's going on there. Sam and Ash, back in a moment. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Rarely wrong, always right. Sam Marjofsky here, your host of the What's Right Show. Uh, Second week of two hours. So if you're just joining us now, I'm all warmed up. I've been here for an hour already. And um, and in case you're, you're having some FOMO, finding out that that's the case, uh, tune in earlier. What can I tell you? All right. <laughs> Fetterman. Oh, my goodness. It wasn't that long ago that we were being lectured for daring to bring up that he appeared to be completely brain-addled. Now, there's... Who am I talking about? This is, you've got reminding you about all this. Uh, Fetterman is the, uh, the brand-new uh, senator from Pennsylvania, John Fetterman. Have you seen pictures of, of uh, when he was getting sworn in his family? Well, he, he, looks, he does not look well. So but put aside the fact that he has some serious cognitive problems, he, he does not look okay. And his family, his family looks, this is a weird little bunch. Uh, some people opine saying that the Adams Family reboot was really uh, uh, really frightening. So it kind of had that, that vibe was <laughs> what's, what's going on here. But the problem is, of course, that he has had a handful of strokes, has some major medical problems. And now the, uh, believe it or not, the New York Times is coming out questioning whether John Fetterman, as senator, can actually doing his job. Opening this article, published late Friday, Senator John Fetterman's desk is in the Senate chamber. There's a newly installed monitor that rises or lowers, depending on whether he sits or stands and provides close captioning so he can follow the proceedings goes on to say that uh, the Sergeant-at-Arms has arranged for live audio to text transcription for the committees. Mr. Fetterman, 53, the six-foot-eight tattooed and goateed Democrat from Pennsylvania who suffered a near-fatal stroke last May, side note, when he was running for office, went on to win one of the most competitive seats in the November midterm elections, right? This was 
a race we were all watching because even though it happened in Pennsylvania, it matters to us here home in Nevada. Every one of those seats that went Democrat and didn't go Republican changes the power in Washington and our ability to arrest. By that, I mean slow down, stop the Biden administration agendas. Here comes the but in the New York Times piece. But, quote, his adjustment, the quote came before the but. They wrote the but. Quote, but his adjustment to serving in the Senate has been made vastly more difficult by the strains of his recovery, which left him, speaking of John Fetterman here, with left him with a physical impairment, serious, serious mental health challenges that have rendered the transition extraordinarily challenging, even with the accommodations that have been made to help him adapt. Let me translate that from New York Times gibberish to English. He can't do his job, even though they've installed a bunch of equipment and things to help him do it. This paragraph... This paragraph I just read to you would have been derided before the election as obscenely ableist. Ableism, of course, being the term that we use to question anyone who dares ask if somebody is capable of doing something. You know, I'm a very ableist person. I want this a side note, right? <laughs> You know, if I'm cruising in for a surgery, if I need a heart operation, <laughs> I'm going to be ableist when it comes to asking if my doctor is able to do it. Every time I get on an airplane, I, I do. I, I, I'm the guy at Southwest. I, I do. I have to admit this. I size up the pilots that are waiting to board the plane before everybody. And I'm trying to determine how capable they are at flying. And it's very unfair of me. I understand that, uh, you know, if they, if they look like they're from central casting, you know, retired Navy uh, fighter jet aces, I'm feeling substantially better than if they're not confidence-inspiring. So, look, I – all right, I'm going to get in trouble with that. But that's, that's my side note on ableism. But that was the whole thing. Remember? Remember Dasha Burns – she was NBC, I think, reporter, right? She after, after she, she had a conversation, she did an interview with Fetterman. And in after the interview, you know, she, she said it, I, it was the interview itself aired. But then she commented about it afterwards saying, you know, he really was struggling to answer. I had to repeat myself. He wasn't following along. He really seemed out of it. Now, Burns is a, uh, by, by all accounts, a good liberal. She was just reporting, heaven forbid, that she actually report the news. Everyone piled on her. Kara Fisher, Molly Jung, everybody, because they were all in it for Dems winning the Senate. The demonstration here of everything that I say on this program, day in and day out, convincing you folks, and you guys, you know this because you're smart, your eyes are open, but... Occasionally, we have people listening who are hearing some of this stuff for the first time explaining how the mainstream media is not – these are not reporters. These are operatives of the Democratic Party, and they are absolutely ends 
you know, the means justify the ends, people, you know, professionals. Now, what were the ends? The ends were, uh, you know, you had people here, uh, reporters, uh, political types that um, really believed that the, the uh, abortion was, you know, this was all about abortion. This race became, the, the Dems, the left became uh, obsessed with abortion. And so, Fetterman being the candidate that they had, it, would, it was no longer about Fetterman. It was about winning the Senate. And they coalesced behind him in a way that was tremendously unfair to Dr. Oz. Now, I, you know, I don't want to lose my train of thought here. I'm just aside. We, as Republicans, could have picked a better candidate. You know, someone that maybe, just maybe, connected with regular people in Pennsylvania. Maybe, just maybe, a candidate that wasn't, you know... I'm a, eh, a little bit of an outer stater, right? Somebody that wasn't perceived to be carpetbagging his way into, into the state to win a race. But all that put aside, I mean, Oz is a smart guy, a capable guy. He has, I think, most of his brain cells. He seems to be able to form a coherent sentence. And it was this guy that got thrown over and by the way this the, the the media everybody was so all in for fetterman that they wouldn't admit that he had any deficits and anybody who dared bring it up was cruel listen to this uh this is ladies of the view talking about it the day after the election uh, excuse me the the after the debate that fetterman had with oz remember this one it was terrible it was like watching a murder on live television. I mean, he stood up there and, and, and basically was less coherent than Joe Biden by, by miles. So this is a, a clip is from October 26th. Here's what the ladies had to say about this. The Republican Party is running a bunch of ads about showing Fetterman you know, st uh, stumbling on things because of the stroke. Mm -hmm. What kind of a doctor is behind that? Aren't you supposed to do no harm? It's so unempathetic to the guy. It was really strange to me that he chose to bully a stroke victim. Yeah, exactly. right. Like he obviously was bullying him. And, um, you know, I don't think the people of Pennsylvania or the people in general um, liked that because Fetterman raised one million dollars after that debate. And I think it takes real courage to show that you've been knocked down. I think it takes real bravery to allow people to see your weakness. Oh, right? yes. Oh, and, it's um, we know that Fetterman's <laughs> cognitive abilities have not been compromised. Who does this remind you of? Because, as I always try to do, there's a greater point here than just one Senate seat. Right? You know, he served his purpose, Mr. Fetterman has. He won the seat. Now the New York Times is coming out with stories about how he, he can, you know, he really can't do this job. So now maybe we really ought to think about who, who we put in his place. They don't say that necessarily in the story, but, they, they, but the idea is there. It's, it's the beginning of that. You know, it's something to think about. The Democratic Party has no problem putting in placeholders. And what is fascinating to me is the extent to which Joe Biden was such a placeholder. And my sense is, and I'm going to get to this after the break, my sense is, as I'm reading the tea leaves here for you and trying to connect some dots, uh, that, that Biden has decided to go off the reservation, so to speak. 
he is going to announce. He's going to announce. This is not a popular move. They want him out. It's going to get interesting, folks. All right, don't go anywhere. Got to take a quick break here as per usual. You know, these commercials, we got to get to them. They pay the bills around here. Don't blame me. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Hi, welcome back. Sam Rajovsky, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian here live and local on beautiful, beautiful uh, downtown Las Vegas is where my studio is at. I'm looking out the window. It's sunny. It's eh, a couple clouds. Uh, Perfect day. I don't like that it's going to get colder, though. I'm uh, I'm ready for pool season. Well, I'm not ready for it, but uh, but mentally I'm ready. I want to be there. Get get me warm. I've, I'm excited for that. All right, friends, friends, friends. This Fetterman story uh, in the New York Times, fascinating. Just before the weekend, uh, New York Times admitting that Fetterman basically can't do his job. This is the uh, freshman senator from Pennsylvania. Beat Dr. Oz. Remember that race? He had a stroke. Couldn't communicate during the uh, during the debate. Uh, it was just it was a terrible thing. It's an unqualified, medically unqualified for the job. Everybody in the media covered for him, and it's analogous, of course, to 2020, the race for president, when Biden became the nominee. I mean, he was in his basement. He didn't even really campaign much. He showed up at a few in-person events. He'd be days off calendar. It was astounding. And I'll, um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, here's the, here's, here's the scoop on this. I am convinced, and I've shared this with you before, but I'm saying it again. I am convinced that the Democratic Party grandees realized that Biden was just the guy to get people across the finish line for Trump, against Trump. To win, and that they would then, you know, have him gently step aside when appropriate, and in would come the great Kamala Harris, who was the exactly the right look the Democratic Party's going for. You know, she's mixed race, she's a woman, she's uh, from California. I mean, she just was the everything that they had hoped and prayed for for a candidate on the party. But you know what, the American public. Her against Trump, this is a little too premature. What we'll do is we'll spice her up, we'll fill her up with a little bit of, you know, a little bit of vice presidential uh, experience. We're going to give her some important assignments. We're going to her, get her out there, really raise her profile, and wham, bam, in we go. If not in, in tw- uh, before 2024, then certainly in 2024. Now, if you think I'm making this up, I have strong reason to tell you that I know that this was the plan. I also, friends, I also have a belief now that there are still people within the Democratic Party that think that this could be the plan. And they're absolutely frustrated with the idea that Joe's going to run again. So I, oh, no, there's, no, it's people are going out and saying it. Ghana, Brazil, this, uh, this week, George Stephanopoulos, yesterday on George Stephanopoulos, said this. I'm so glad you brought up Kamala Harris because she is probably one of the most undefined human beings. She is incredible. She's standing in her own power. She has been at every step helpful to this president, 
and getting his agenda through the United States Congress. And so while her poll numbers may not reflect her true popularity, I can guarantee you Kamala Harris will not be replaced on the party's ticket. And I can also guarantee you if Joe Biden decides not to run, Kamala Harris will become the next nominee of the Democratic Party. Well, I let me let me tell you something here. This is not the idle musings of some rando in the Democratic Party. Donna Brazil is the chair of the Democratic National Committee. She is the DNC. So this is a, I mean, this is a big deal. This is the the head of the Democratic Party telling us, oh, yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's Kamala or bust. And, and if, if, notice how she said that, if he, um, yeah, if basically Biden doesn't run, which is said um, in a kind of a way like, uh, if Joe Biden doesn't run, I think it's suggestive that her desire is that Biden doesn't run, that that Kamala be the, I mean, this, the, and I'll tell you, um, I have no reason not to take, uh, not to take, not to take Donna Brazil at her word. And what I mean by that is there's no real strategy to touting her as a candidate if Brazil doesn't think she's viable. And, and, and because, well, because of her position, I mean, she's the head of the party. And as the head of a party, she doesn't just speak for herself. She's speaking for the, all the superdelegates, the, the various stakeholders, and the executive board. So they are. They, this is very much something that, that is on on their minds. Now let's talk about the substance of it for a moment. Um, obviously, Kamala Harris is a um, is in in no way prepared to be president of the United States. I live in absolute fear that something happens to Joe Biden, and that she becomes president by virtue of death or incapacitation. Joe Biden dying of natural causes one day to the next at his age is not a well certainly his health condition is not you know not a completely unforeseen or unlikely event. I'm not trying to be morbid here. I, I, by the way, be, I'll be clear. I do not wish him harm. <laughs> I want. I would. I mean, if you, if folks, if you think it's bad now, if Joe Biden were to drop dead, uh, the world will blow up. Because the the the, the um the, she will she can't even stay on a script that that is written for her. She talks in circles. Uh, she's indecisive. She's a, and 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 she's a she's a low IQ person. Talking about Kamala Harris. So I'm you know I I look at this and I go I I, I think to myself putting her in a in a place where she would be the the nominee the de facto nominee of the party. And I'll t- I don't think, by the way, I think that if Joe decides to step down or is told to step down, which, again, I don't think he will. I think he's going to go for it. And he keeps saying it. He's going to run. He's going to run. And that we should anticipate him running. Uh, then I think what's going to happen here is, uh, folks, is, is we're going to have a uh, – well, ha- I think it will be an open primary. I, I think it's, it's already clear that Governor Gavin Newsom, California, for example, is going to run. I, I, a lot of people – a lot of people inside the party think that, well, 
well, Obama, Michelle Obama. I, trust me on this, folks. If 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 Biden steps down, I could see, I could see those two certainly running. There's others that have declared they would run as well. But the party establishment seems to still be behind Kamala. They're completely bananas about this. Um, but they also, I'll tell you, they also have an interest perhaps in Biden not continuing. And I think it tells us something about what they sense could be the real Achilles heel of the Biden administration vis-a-vis all of these investigations that are happening on the Hill. It's all these little, you know, it's like, you know, death by, by a thousand pinpricks. And that's what's going on here. It's not one big explosion, but a gradual, you know, a gradual erosion and documentation of of uh, of criminal activity. I, I'm telling you, I think it's it's something that is certainly playing in the backgrounds of everybody involved. All right, I'll explain what I mean by that when we come back. Got to take this break now. We'll be back in a moment. Sam Marshofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. Greetings, friends, conversationalists. Welcome to the What's Right Show. Common Sense Conservatism, delivered weekdays, 1 to 3 p.m. here on News Talk 840 KXNT. If you are just joining us for the first time, welcome. Those of you who have made our program a regular habit, welcome back. Of course, you know the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Odyssey app, all great places to uh, find the show and subscribe and get it if you do not catch it live here at 1 or 2 o'clock. We have both hours now. Uh, this started last week, and I'm very grateful to be here with you a little bit longer every day. Now, before we uh, get further along here, I need to wish a very happy birthday to producer Robbie. Uh, I'm going to embarrass him here. Uh, he's uh, turning another year older today. I've known Robbie a long time, uh, high school, high school, oh my gosh, which was, of course, five years ago, Robbie, right? It's five years ago, so um, that was a little longer, but happy birthday, Robbie. Uh, grateful to have you here and everything that you do uh, for this program. Um, appreciate you, and happy birthday. I also here need to mention quickly that I, look, I try to keep up to speed on everything, Um Sometimes my brain doesn't work as great as it ought to. Donna Brazil apparently has not been the head of the DNC for a little while. Now it's Jamie Harrison. So I, I pulled this up, and thank you, Ed, for catching this. I uh, didn't uh, immediately remember this. Donna Brazil was the head of the DNC. Now she's a spokeshole uh, on, on, on cable news um, and, and, and a shill. Yeah, I, but, but but listen, she's still very connected in the party, and, and I, I stand by what I said. I mean, she's she believes that Kamala Harris should be the nominee. So there are people like her within the party that believe this. All right, friends. Oh, by the way, when I was looking up Democrats.org, their leadership, this um, – also needs to be uh, updated here. They still have at the bottom of the list here Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House. So, 
uh, well, she's not the Speaker of the House. I guess she was former Speaker of the House, but uh, now she's just a rank-and-file member from California in the Democrat minority. So, um, And I don't think, by the way, I don't know if Nancy's going to stay there very long. There's, there's word of her trying to transfer her, her seat to her daughter. And um, I, I guess you guess Democrats like to do that, right? They think it's it's my seat. It's going to go to my 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 wife or my daughter, or my son, whoever. You know, it's just patrilineal hand downs. Um, well, I mean, that's down with the patriarchy, right? I mean, it's it's not. It's matriarchy, I guess, if it's coming from the mother. So we'll see how that goes. Um, anyway, I wanted to illustrate something about my point about Biden and how the media has helped him, just as they helped. Fetterman get across the finish line. If you go to the New York Times, I did this during the break just to kind of get a sense if I was uh, if I was saying this right. If you go and you search Biden too old, New York Times. If yeah, well, you'll see that you know there are two there are opinions right uh, opinion pieces and and different. Uh, yeah, this is not reporting, but opinion pieces. And there's four that come up. And uh, let's see here. We're going to uh, – let's do this. We're going to – okay, so this – there's one in September of 2019. Let's go with the oldest one, April of 2019. So this is in the uh, – you know, before – this is before the election. Joe Biden is of an older generation. Does it matter? And the piece by Lisa Lehrer and Leela Moore basically says, no, it's fine. He's just an older guy. And it goes into, this was during Me Too, goes into how he's treating women. He's smelling their hair and putting his hands on them. And it's like, oh, it's just a nice grandpa. Nothing to see here. And then there is another opinion piece in September 2019. Are Biden and Sanders too old to be president? And again, the piece kind of goes through a, a, a thing where, you know, it's, it's – it's probably not. It's all good. Nothing to see here. Then we get into February. Oh, July and February. Joe Biden is too old to be president again. Is in July. 22. And now February. Is Biden too old to run again? Readers offered their opinion. And it's, well, it seems to be mostly, um, mostly kind of saying he is. And my point is, is that there, is a, there has been a shift. This is just a quick search. I'll do a deeper dive on this as we get closer to it, particularly if Biden announces. But it, you, see, you sense the shift. Go from being his apologists, his, his, almost his press agents, right? The media acting as, as though they are, they are well, they are, <laughs> they're promoting Biden, explaining away any of his deficits that are obvious to us were obvious to us during the campaign. He didn't suddenly become incoherent after he was sworn in. We knew this was all happening. We pointed it out. You had Trump up there on stage, robust, powerful, with it, you know, recalling facts, nailing it. And, and whatever, you know, they pumped Biden full of all sorts of happy pills because you know, he got up there and he would, you know, be, be reasonably coherent for the, for the space of whatever that debate was. Although I could point to several instances where he clearly wasn't. But then as soon as he left the stage and was, was making comments and people caught him on video, he was doing all sorts of weird stuff. 
And it's, it's interesting because I think the Democrats, I think the media has really been so protective of these liberal candidates, Democratic candidates, because of Hillary Clinton's September 11th moment. Do you remember this? Remember when Hillary Clinton was, was leaving uh, during the campaign in 2016? She was leaving the uh, site of the World Trade Center, and she had a clearly some sort of medical episode, right? She, you know, well, it didn't help that she was in that mobility van, okay? She loved that van. She didn't get driven around in an SUV. She had basically kind of a, the Secret Service version of a maybe a child molester van is what it looked like to me. And, well, look, I mean, that was her thing. She loved that van. But she, they, they were on video, someone captured her having a moment. And I would point to that, that, that video, that, that particular time, that, that, that fraction of a, whatever it was, minute, where Hillary faltered like that and was infirm. And that it was a turning point in, in the campaign in a, for Trump, a positive for Trump, because he, she, basically, she basically undercut her own argument for herself, which was from the beginning, who do you trust picking up the phone in the middle of the night? Yeah, you know, I trust the person who gave away American lives in Benghazi. That's who I trust to pick up the phone. Anyway, but that was, a, that was Hillary Clinton's whole thing. I'm the experienced statesman, and here we've got this kind of gaudy real estate developer, you know, guy who's on, on, on reality TV. What, what, you know, you trust him to deal with weighty situations, national security interests in the middle of the night? It was, it's me. I'm the Hillary's argument for herself. And all of a sudden, you know, there she looked with her, with her dark sunglasses and she was unsteady on her feet, didn't seem to be doing well. And whatever it was that was going on health-wise, it ended up becoming a very major uh, point. Uh, for voters. And I, I think, uh, you know, I, look, I think that the Democratic Party is still processing Hillary Clinton's loss in 16. And everything currently that is going on politically, from what we saw with Twitter, what we saw with the Hunter Biden laptop, what we saw with, uh, with covering for Biden's uh, mental deterioration, uh, and, and obviously his, his, his Alzheimer's, dementia, whatever he has. Uh, step and repeat for, for Fetterman, the same deal for, for uh, John Fetterman running for Senate uh, this past uh, cycle. All of this, right, you, if you, you understand it better through the prism that the Dems still haven't figured out what happened in 16 because they bought into their own myth. They bought into the entire argument that, of course, you know, this was all you know, the Russians hacked the election and, and somehow miraculously Trump emerged the victor. They still don't understand why Trump won. They don't understand his appeal. They think it was it was rigged. But in that process, in that thinking, they realize we've got to rig it ourselves. We didn't rig it good enough. That's our problem. And they also felt that that moment of or Hillary Clinton's health foibles uh, were a, a reason because these are almost like it's almost like, you know, when you're, you, you're, you're making creation myths, you're explaining. That's what, that's what the entire four years of chasing Trump and Russia collusion and all this stuff was. It, the, the, the Dems were so intent on proving their Trump creation myth true 
they miss the forest for the trees, which of course is that there are elements within the MAGA agenda, significant elements that, that are winners for both Republicans and Democrats, whoever chooses to, to put that on them as, as, as policy. That Trump was able to capture a majority of the country, that his words connected with people. And ultimately, his policies, by the way, very, very popular as well. Uh, and that in spite uh, of a, a bit of a headwind from our friends on the Democratic side of the aisle. Okay, I got to take a quick break. But um, yeah, so, so, so who carries this torch on? Is it Trump? Is it DeSantis? There's a, a, right now a more evidence of, of uh, DeSantis gathering up his forces. And you've got people like Jonah Goldberg and even the New York Times writing about his likelihood to succeed. And there's a begrudging, almost begrudging, no, it's, it's begrudging, admission that he has what it takes. So what does that mean, them saying these things? Are they, is this, this some other agenda at play? I'll explain when I return. Don't go anywhere. The What's Right Show, back after this. All right, listen up, friends. I hope none of you ever get into an accident. I've got to tell you, this is a, a very annoying thing uh, at the very least. Uh, I remember now it's, what has it been now, a month and a half since my own accident that I had. I got rear-ended early January, and I'm, I'm still recovering from it. And I'll tell you, the first thing I did when I got hurt, I went back to the office and I turned over all my information to my lawyer. Ash Watkins. Yes. Now I'm saying this as her partner. I'm a lawyer. Sam Rajofsky founded Sam and Ash Injury Law. And I, okay, got into an accident and I did something that is really important. I didn't represent myself. Even though I know everything that needs to be done for an injury case, I didn't do it myself. And the reason for that is I know that it's important to have somebody else speak on my behalf. I don't want to get caught talking to the insurance company, saying the wrong thing, turning over information, having them be able to question me directly. I want to have someone who is my representative do that. And so I turned it over to my, my team here. They're handling it, and I don't have to worry about it. I can be on the radio. I can do my job. I can help other people with their cases. But my own, turn it over to a pro. And that's what you need to do. I, I, so many, so many smart people out there want to handle cases on their own. It's just an insurance claim, Sam. I got it handled. No biggie. If you want some help with it, insist on handling it on your own, I'm happy to talk to you. You can always email me, sam at salmonashlaw.com, sam at salmonashlaw.com. Happy to help you. But at the end of the day, the less you tell them directly, the better. It's the way to do it. It's the right approach. So spread the word. Tell your friends about this. I think a lot of people think, you know, I'd uh, you know, save a few bucks. I'm going to do it myself. It ends up being like that DIY project you do at the house. You know, it, uh, you think you're going to save some money, and you just end up creating a problem and a mess and then ultimately have to call in a pro when things get bad. And that's what happens, right? People go down this path with insurance adjusters. Everything's good. They're they're following the golden rule. If I'm up up straight you know and honest with them they're going to be honest and fair with me doesn't work that way they're just collecting information on you to use against you trust me i know this i do it day in and day out i know how the insurance companies work i see it 
And so they get you all the way to the end, and then, you know, you think maybe your case is worth, I don't know, 10 grand or 12 or 20. I don't know. They, they turn around and say, okay, Bob, how does $900 sound to you? <laughs> and that's when people usually call me and go, Sam, help. <laughs> I've just been dealing with them for three months, and they, they offered me 1000 bucks. What the heck? Don't be that. Don't be Bob. By the way, I, Bob's not a real person. I just made that name up. But I that call, that conversation, I have had, I have had hundreds of times with clients. And yes, even then we can turn things around. And even after our fee, you're going to get way more than what they offer you. And that's the that's the dirty secret they don't want you to hear. So Sam and Ash Injury Law 702-820-1234. 702-820-1234. Or visit samandashlaw.com. All right, welcome to the What's Right Show. Sam here of Sam and Ash Injury Law and of the What's Right Show. My two hats that I wear during the day, one to three, I'm on air with you and get to talk current events and politics and all that good stuff. And then uh, and then I go back to before and after I, I, I help people get better and fight the good fight. I love my job. I love my week. I love my life. I have a, I'm very grateful for everything that I have. Now, DeSantis. This is an important deal because I'm seeing some articles from folks that are, I think, kind of in a camp of, in the camp of being hostile overall to MAGA. Uh, DeSantis, uh, by the way, this is an interesting point. DeSantis, is he a MAGA conservative? And I, 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 judging by the people that are openly hostile to him, i.e., the folks over at the Lincoln Project, you know, Crystal and, and all that, those those guys, judging by their hostility to DeSantis, I'm inclined to say yes. Now, here's what some comparisons came out over the weekend to Ron DeSantis and Scott Walker. Remember Scott Walker of Wisconsin? You know, he was in the lead up to the 2016 election, a wildly popular guy. And uh, he then put out a, a, a 2015 announcement video, so he got into the fight early. Um, he basically came out and, and gave a similar value proposition for himself. Look at me how well I've handled Wisconsin. Wouldn't you love to see this done in Washington, right? And uh, Walker... You know, Walker flamed out. And there's been a lot of talk among people hostile to DeSantis that he's just another Scott Walker, that he's going to flame out. Now, Jonah Goldberg, writing for The Dispatch, who is on and off again uh, interested in DeSantis, right? Goldberg, absolutely done with Trump, was never a Trump guy. He was one of the never Trump Republicans, you know, National Review, NRO online. Uh, Yeah, so he's, we know where he's at, but he's, he can't quite figure out where he stands on DeSantis. So he's kind of musing here if he's just Scott Walker, is he another guy that's just going to fall flat? And, you know, I, I, I've seen this elsewhere uh, thrown out, and, and I have to tell you, I, I think this is a, a, a dangerous fallacy. One, Scott Walker, at the time that he announced early in the case, I think he got maybe to 6%, 7%. He never even got in the polls to double digits. Robbie, where is where is DeSantis today? 
look that up. Where where his poll and his polling's in the 30s before he's even announced. This is a that's a that's a huge difference, right? I mean, you're in you're in double digits territory this early on as a non-incumbent. I, I would describe uh, Trump as a, a person who is obviously a huge following and a huge loyal base by virtue of the fact that he's done the job before. And um, and so, you know, you've got this 800-pound gorilla, right? It was Trump in the race, and yet is still getting uh, getting votes. Oh, what are you, Robbie, you saying? Okay, so he's he split the last, is this the last poll? Is he, this is Monmouth University poll. DeSantis and Trump both tied at 33. That's enormous. I still want to know. I want to know who who are the two percent voting that want Mike Pence. Who in the H E double hockey sticks wants Mike Pence to be pre- baffling? Nikki Haley one percent. Mike Pence two percent. Are you kidding me? But my point again is this is this is the, Ron DeSantis is a force to be reckoned with, whether whether you want him if he's your guy or not at this point. And he's drawing ire uh, in the liberal media. He's drawing ire from even some of these lukewarm conservatives. And um, and and there's absolute talk that he is, uh, is buzzing that uh, he's putting together a team. He's got his – and I, the other part of this is where is he at money-wise? $130, $150 million war chest? Absolutely insane amount of money that he's raised force to be reckoned with for sure. All right, got to run. I'll see you guys here tomorrow. Sam Sam Rajovsky here, back tomorrow.